All right, go ahead and uh, take your seats. Good morning, it's great to see you. All you friendly people. Turn to your neighbor and just look at him and say, love works, would you? Love works. And obviously we need to pray again, so I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, help us. <laughs> help us. You have helped us in so many ways through the years, and we praise your holy name. Uh, open our eyes this morning to what you want us to see in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in this series we're calling Love Works, which is a word that we thought we made up, but then we went online and discovered that someone else had already coined that term and that we were borrowing it from them, so bummer on that. But Speaking of made-up words, I learned a new one last week. Maybe you've heard it. It's the word slacktivism. Have you ever heard that one before? Do you know any slacktivists? You say, what is a slacktivist? A slacktivist is someone who fancies himself to be so into social causes and fighting injustice and helping the poor and such that when he sees a Facebook page for an important cause, his heart is so stirred that he actually lifts a finger and clicks on like. And that's the extent of his social activism. That's slacktivism. You know any slacktivists? <laughs> well, now you have a new word to apply to certain people that you, you may know. Well, for us, we're seeking not to be slacktivists, but to be gospel-fueled activists who are motivated by Jesus' love and love others, not with mere words, not with just good intentions, and not with just mouse clicks but with actions, right? Love works, love acts, love responds. Now last week my wife and I were down in the southern outer banks of North Carolina. We were celebrating early our 30th anniversary together. We had a great time down there. And one thing Shirley has always wanted to do is ride horses on the beach, kind of like in the movies, you know? That's on her bucket list. And so being the wonderful, loving husband that I am, I had this whole thing planned out where she would get to fulfill that dream. And so we drove about an hour from where we were staying to this stable um, on the beach there. And we found out it was managed by this very pleasant middle-aged woman who runs the outfit all by herself. Takes care of 17 horses in all. And she took us out. We had a great time. We even got to ride through the water out to an island where there were wild horses roaming around. And it was just really special. Cool stuff. Anyway, we got back to the stable when we were done, and Shirley had this great idea that we ought to give this lady a tip. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea, maybe, you know, three bucks or so, and <laughs> she pulls out a $20 bill and hands it to me and says, would you go give it to this lady? And she said, you know, after all, the cost of feed has gone up, as, as the lady had told us, and she's out there all by herself and lives alone in this tiny little trailer. She said, let's just bless her with a big tip. Love works, right? <laughs> Nothing like having your own sermons thrown back in your face. But um, I finally grudgingly conceded and went back and handed it to the lady. She was very grateful for that. And we actually ended up getting to pray with her. And it was just a sweet time. Well, I tell you that so that you know that I know that I have a long ways to go when it comes to this notion of love works becoming a lifestyle in my own life. I sometimes am unwilling to part with money, even for good causes, worthy causes, even for large tips. 
And uh, I'm asking the Lord to show me what's, what's underneath all of that reluctance in my heart. But I am very grateful to be married to a woman who has cultivated such a generous heart through the years. And so I praise God for her. So here we are. We're about three quarters of the way through this LoveWorks 40-day adventure. But I want to let you know something. I want to let you know that our leadership believes that this ought to continue. That when the 40 days ends, we shouldn't go, all right, we're done with that. What else you got for us? But that this should continue beyond those 40 days. The consensus is that the Lord desires love works to be a lifestyle for us, not just an event or a 40-day emphasis. Because some of us are just beginning to get it. <laughs> and it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and it's going to take some time. So we want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit and be synced up with his timetable for us. And so we believe the Lord wants us to continue to spur each other on to love and good works, as the Bible says. And I'm, I'm thrilled at the work that God is doing in us. I get to hear reports just about every day of new lifers blessing other people in big and small ways in the name of Jesus. I hear about small groups getting together and praying and planning a love works project, a service project to do together, adopting a widow to love on, fixing someone's roof, ministering to folks down at the nursing home, collecting groceries to take to a needy family, uh, making plans to host a neighborhood Bible club together as a group this summer, baking things for people, and dozens of other acts of love. Somebody sent me this uh, a week or two ago. Kind of cool. It says, last Sunday, we were led to pay for another family's meal uh, who were sitting at another table in the restaurant. The waiter and the waitress were absolutely stunned by this. I was able to leave a tract, a gospel uh, literature for both of them. And this is not the end of the story. The next day in the mail, we received an unexpected check for triple the amount that we spent on that family's meal. Praise the Lord. So now that doesn't always happen, but uh, when it does, we thank God for his, his blessings to us. There are some love works that the Lord seems to be impressing on our hearts for the whole church to get behind and to engage with. And I'm going to share a few of those uh, a little bit later on in the message. So let the love works continue on. Amen. Past the 40 days into the future, let's continue to let our light shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven because he is worthy of that. Our theme verse, as you know, from 1 John 4:19, if you know it, say it with me. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And I want to take a few minutes and park on the second half of that verse. Because believe it or not, there is a potential danger that we should all be aware of as we continue down this path. And it's pretty innocent looking, it's easy to miss. Historically speaking, this emphasis on Loving our neighbors because of Christ, you know, we didn't invent that. We're not the first church to ever have that emphasis. That's taken root in the evangelical church before many times. What has often happened in those movements and what can too easily happen to us is that the gospel motivation for loving people can get distorted or even lost. That can easily happen. That's what happened to many mainline churches back in the 1900s. Did you know that? 
with their emphasis on helping the poor and relieving suffering and being involved in social causes, it started out with true gospel motivation. Because he loved us, we're doing these things. But after a while, social activism actually became the gospel to them. You ever heard of the social gospel? The social gospel? Well, that was the version of the gospel that many mainline denominations and churches came to embrace in the 1900s. They went from, we love because he first loved us, to we love because the needs are so great all around us, to we meet those needs in order to change the world, to we are the gospel, we are the good news. And that's a, a subtle shift. Some authors in the mid-20th century started to point that out and claimed that in all of those worthy efforts by the church to do good in the world, something very important was being lost. And what was lost was the proclaiming of the historic gospel message that Jesus Christ came to live and die and rise again for guilty sinners so that they could be reconciled to the Father in heaven, to their creator, and be saved and spend eternity with God. That message, received by grace through faith alone, nearly vanished from many of those churches in the 1900s. We need to understand it was never God's intent that our love for our neighbors end up replacing the gospel message. Rather, it should be the outgrowth of believing that message, right? The fruit of believing the gospel is love for others. The gospel, when truly understood and believed, makes us want to love other people. And maybe you hear that and you say, well, why are you making such a big deal about something that seems to, see a, seems to be a very minor distinction, seems to be splitting hairs? Well, the reason I'm making a big deal of it is that I don't want to see what happened to those churches happen to us. So many of those churches died. They lost their gospel vitality. They lost their sense of mission that we're here to proclaim the gospel to the world so that people can know Christ and be saved. Not only that, I'm also convinced that any other motivation for loving people other than Christ's love for us will end up falling short or dying out when meeting people's needs gets hard or gets messy or we're not getting something back in return any longer, or we feel like we're not making much of a dent in the, in the bigger problem. It'll just go from being worship to being work. And I'm convinced that worship is the end game, aren't you? The purpose, the goal. Maybe some of you are saying, well, aren't you concerned about the danger at the other end of the spectrum too? What about all those churches in the 20th century that knew their Christian doctrine, that knew the gospel, they got their people saved, and then everybody just sat around feeling smug and secure, waiting for Jesus to come and rescue them from this evil world, and ended up doing absolutely no good at all in their communities. Pastor, aren't you concerned about that extreme as well? Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely am. Both of those concepts of the gospel, in my view, are warped. Or out of balance. Listen, if the version of the gospel that you believed does not change your value system in the here and now, does not move you outward in loving actions towards others, then that version of the gospel is likely not the true gospel. And 
On the other hand, if the gospel you believed leads you to think that your deeds of love are earning you more favor with God, or if you start to think that the gospel is more about what you are doing to serve other people instead of what God has done to serve his people through Christ, then that's a warped gospel too, in my view. And we need to avoid both of those extremes. You see, we love because he first loved us. That's the truest, highest motivation for loving people. Our love for others is fueled by his love for us. Let me put it another way. When I got up this morning, and a lot of mornings, I'll get up and I'll give myself a little pep talk and it kind of goes something like this. Steve, you know what? If you got what you deserve today, you would have woken up in hell. I mean, really, that's what the Bible teaches. That's not a popular message. Kind of grates on people. But if I got what I deserved when I woke up today, I would have woken up in hell. But you know what? I didn't wake up in hell. Thank God. Not due to my own efforts, not due to how good I'm living my life, but due to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, came, lived the perfect life that I could never live, then died on the cross for my sins, and then rose from the grave for my justification because I was taught that gospel message and believed that message when I was 18 and because I still believe it today, I didn't wake up in hell today. So no matter what else happens today, it's a good day because I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm getting way more than I deserve. But not only did I not wake up in hell today, because the gospel has taken root in my heart, my sins are totally and completely forgiven, all of them, past, present, and future, I have the Holy Spirit residing in me. I've been gifted with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. So his perfect life got credited to me so that when God looks at me and looks at my life, he looks at it as if I lived the life that Jesus lived. That's good news right there. <laughs> I've been made a card-carrying member of the body of Jesus Christ. I have an eternal home promised to me in heaven. I'm in the family of God. I've been redeemed, reconciled. I mean, these gospel blessings are so wonderful. And when I get all of that, and I, that's called preaching the gospel to yourself every day, by the way. And we all need to do that. And when I get that down deep in my heart, it has two effects on my heart. One, it makes me want to worship Jesus. And two, it makes me want to love people. Love for people is the fruit of the gospel taking root in my heart. We should never forget that. We love because he first loved us. Back in early December when we were first talking about this notion of love works and I was kind of field testing it with different groups of new lifers, which was a lot of fun, we came together and talked about this and we asked the question, is this something God's doing here now at New Life? But what was interesting to me is one of the things that those groups fed back to me as we talked about it was this. Steve, let's be cautious that as a church, we don't get so enamored with what we're doing in our love works towards other people that we forget about what Christ has done for us. They said, Steve, emphasize with our people that we love because he first loved us. And I was so glad to hear that. That was so encouraging to me. That is the motivation for our love. Our love is to be rooted and grounded and motivated and incentivized and stoked into flames by his sacrificial love for us. Yes, our hearts should be touched by people's needs. 
But there are more needs out there than you and I could ever meet. And we could easily get overwhelmed and discouraged and disheartened and feel like we're not really making a dent in all those needs, right? So that's not our primary motivation. Yes, we should desire to make a difference in the world with our love. But the biggest difference in the world is not going to happen until King Jesus comes and establishes his earthly reign in the final form of his kingdom. He's going to usher in his kingdom, not us. And yes, using our gifts and abilities and fulfilling our callings and serving other people will often bless them. And they might even appreciate it. And they might send us a little note of thanks and they might include a gift card in that note of thanks. And that's Wonderful when that happens, but there might come a day when nothing's coming back to you, and what will happen then? Will your love works cease because you're not getting anything back in return? We love, not primarily to get strokes from others, not primarily to get positive feedback, not because it makes us feel good about ourselves, not even primarily to make sure all the needs in the world get met and not primarily to usher in the kingdom of God with our love works. We love primarily because he first loved us. That's a fuel that will never burn out. Does that make sense? Maybe you say, well, Steve, does it really matter that much why we do our acts of love? I mean, doesn't God just want us to obey and just do it regardless of our motives? If I wait until my motives are 100% pure, I'll never do anything. Well, you're probably right about that. None of us are at, you know, 100% God interest and 0% self-interest. So that's a fair question. I would never tell you not to obey God. But what I want us to see is that it's our heart condition that determines whether our acts of love are worship or just work. That's an important distinction, and like I said, I, I believe that the end game of our lives is worship. Now, I'm supposed to actually be preaching on the subject love gives, so I better get at it, huh? Take the little study guide out of your worship folder. Love gives, but you know what? I, I was pretty convinced that you already knew that. I mean, you know that. Love gives, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives. Ephesians 5 tells us Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The Bible is full of calls for God's people to live, love, and give generously, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's people are to put God's character on display through their radical generosity. Let me give you just a sampling from Scripture. Way back in Exodus says this, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. Love gives. In Leviticus, <laughs> this is interesting, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, for I am the Lord your God. So in your harvesting, he said, don't just think about yourself, think about others. Leave some for the poor. Psalm 37, 21, the, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Proverbs eleven twenty five: 25, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. 
In the New Testament, we're given a portrait of the early church, those first believers, and it looks like this, Acts 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. It's a picture of love gives. There was a time in Paul's ministry where he was challenging churches to uh, give to a special offering that he was going to take to Jerusalem and give it to the needy believers there. And here's what he wrote the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 8. Just as you excel in everything, faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your what? Your love. By comparing it with the earnestness of others, love gives, verse 3 says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you know that in the original language, that word cheerful means hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And to a young pastor, uh, a shepherd over a congregation, Paul wrote this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So love gives. Love gives generously, love gives eagerly, love gives unselfishly, love gives sacrificially, love gives joyfully and cheerfully, love gives gratefully. Some of you are so glad I'm just mowing right through these points. Number seven, I want to give you another way that love gives, and I'm going to coin another word, okay? Love gives gospeliciously. <laughs> Actually, I didn't make that up. I have a pastor friend in town who, when he writes me emails, he always signs it, your gospelicious friend. <laughs> love gives gospeliciously. What do you mean? What I mean by that is love gives based on what we've been given. Freely you have received, Jesus said, freely give. When Paul was giving that plea to those churches and he was going to receive that collection, Here's the basis upon which he made his plea, 2 Corinthians 8 9, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Why should we give, Paul? Why? Because of that. It's a call for gospel-driven generosity. That verse, it says, though he was rich. You know what? We have no idea, do we? <laughs> when Christ was in heaven, how wealthy, how rich he was. Prior to his coming to our planet, Jesus Christ was unbelievably wealthy. A member of the Holy Trinity. That's a pretty exclusive club, huh? unshackled by a human body, receiving the worship of angels, and I'm talking about gazillions of angels, 24-7, day and night, 
Jesus Christ, center stage, in heaven, receiving their worship, and deservedly so. Possessing an eternal glory and radiance and splendor that if we were to stand before it without any filters, we would be obliterated. Someday we'll understand better how rich Jesus really was in heaven and why he so longed to return there when he was on the earth. But it says, though he was rich, yet, what does it say? For your sakes, he became poor. He gave it up. From heaven to earth, from a throne to a manger, from center stage to obscurity, born in a little hamlet, from glory to rejection, from wearing a crown to wearing a cross, he laid it all aside willingly, and he did it, it says, for our sakes. Love gives that through his poverty you might become rich. May I remind you today that if you are in Christ, you are stinking filthy rich. Now your bank account down at the branch might not reflect that materially, but spiritually, you are off the charts rich. That incredible cache of spiritual blessings I alluded to earlier and a hundred more are yours in Christ, but only because Jesus Christ became poor for you and for me. And so now, in effect, God says to us, because of my son's generosity to you, show that same generosity to others. God is not asking us to lay aside our spiritual riches. Those are our permanent possessions forever. But he is asking us to release ownership claim to our material possessions and let them be used to bless others and extend his kingdom reign let my son's generosity, God is saying, fuel your generosity. And that's what I'm calling gospelicious giving. I want to share with you a few avenues that our leadership has been praying about for our church as a whole. And we know individuals and families and small groups are, are planning and working and, and spreading the love of Christ. And we love that. But we sense there's several areas the Lord may be calling us as a church to engage with. Let me share a few of these with you, and you can be praying about them. You might want to just write the, the names down. The first is the Gehanna Ministry Center. I don't know that's what it's going to be called, <laughs> but there's a desire among many of the pastors here in Gehanna to come together and bring our churches together and collaborate to establish a one-stop shop for needy people here in our community. See, right now, if you're a needy person in Gehanna, you've got to go all over town to different churches to get different things. But what if that was all under one roof? What if there was a central hub where a needy person could go to get food, clothing, prayer, counseling, to understand the gospel? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? Now, we know that that effort's not going to be without its challenges. Certainly, it will be. But there's a great unity among the pastors in Gehanna right now and maybe you've heard of the organization called GRIN, Gehanna Residents in Need, already been in existence, wonderful organization for many years. What's happening right now is that the, the leadership of GRIN is meeting with the leadership of the Gehanna Christian Ministerial Association and working on a way to maybe blend these two ideas together. So that in Gehanna, there's this collaborative effort reflecting the character and unity of the body of Christ to bless the poor and needy people in our community because of Christ's love for us. 
I could get excited about the opportunities that would open up for some of you to serve in that Gehanna Ministry Center when the time arrives. Wouldn't that be cool? So that's one thing. Second is adopting a school. We felt for a while that one of the ways we could spread Christ's love in our community would be to adopt a school in the area and find out what the needs are in that school and attempt to meet those needs. Certainly a case could be made for choosing any one of the fine schools in Gehanna, but we've decided to settle on Gehanna Middle School West, just up the road here. That's where this church started, in the band room of Gehanna Middle School West many years ago. We've had a long, strong relationship with them. We have a relationship with the administrators over there. It's already been established. I wonder if there's anybody in the room who could get juiced up about coming alongside middle school teachers and encouraging them in some way. Because you've got to know that middle school teachers need encouragement regularly, often. Or how about coming alongside a middle school student at West, some of whom come from horrific family backgrounds, and every day is a struggle for them. We're exploring avenues for doing that. And again, when the time is right, I believe some of you will sense God's call into that kind of love works ministry because of Christ's work in your own life. A third area is backyard kids clubs. Last year we called them neighborhood Bible clubs. And it was our first foray really into taking our vacation Bible school, which we've always had here, and decentralizing it and taking it into the neighborhoods of our town. And that vision of flooding Gehanna with gospel ministry to children kind of captivated us last year. And so 21 neighborhood Bible clubs happened last summer. They were sponsored. Hundreds of kids got to hear the gospel right in their own neighborhood. And this year, Miss Darcy, our children's ministries director, would love to expand that effort and make our way into even more neighborhoods this summer, adding to the ones we infiltrated last year and the Lord might call you to serve in that outreach effort as a way of expressing your gratefulness to Christ and how about Love Works block parties remember that trailer that our Christmas offering funded and helped us to purchase well it's coming it's on the way it's going to be here in a few weeks and it's going to be available for your small group or your ministry team to, to reserve as a resource and then used to throw a big, fun neighborhood party, a block party in your neighborhood or at a local park, and invite your friends and invite your neighbors. The Love Works trailer. It's going to have a bounce house and grills and all kinds of stuff to throw a great party. Just imagine what creative types could cook up with that kind of a resource. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. What, what new friendships could be formed through those gatherings? What lonely family might be given a glimpse of God's love for them? What single parent might be given some hope that there is a loving church family in this community where they could come and find support and encouragement and meet Jesus Christ? I can't wait to see how that all fleshes out. Fourth area is the Gehanna Gospel Outreach. And many of you know over the past two years, New Lifers have prayer walked and distributed a gospel pamphlet to every home on this side of the creek, on this side of town, over 4,000 homes. And last fall, we made the foray across the creek to the other side of town. And we want to continue seeing that gospel wave spread all the way across Kahana so that every home, every family gets prayed over and has the opportunity to, to read about the gospel. 
Our goal is that all the homes in Gehanna would have that. And as the weather warms up, we're going to be letting small groups know of opportunities to get in on that and keep that wave flowing across town. And then finally, the sixth area is the important area of human trafficking. You know, we, we hear about that, the sex slave trade, and we tend to think, well, that's over in Indonesia, right? That's over there. But do you know it's here too? It's in our city of Columbus, Ohio. This is going on. There's a growing number of you who've sensed a call to engage in efforts to push back the darkness of that evil right here in our city. Right now, we would say we're in the, we're in the phase of raising awareness about this and what's going on. We've already hosted a forum for this purpose, and we plan now to host an event on May the 4th called Eyes Wide Open, which is going to be designed to help parents educate their own children and prevent them from being sucked into this thing. Also, this is pretty cool. One of our daughter churches, New Life OSU, is sponsoring a fashion show on March 21st, so not that far away, down at the Student Union on the OSU campus. And that fashion show is going to creatively share the story of how this enslavement happens. Their pastor, Ed Travers, has told me that kind of the progression of what's going to happen in this fashion show. There are some of their students are here today, and you can get tickets for that event in the lobby following our worship gathering this morning because it's a fundraiser to help support International Justice Mission. Have you heard of them? Wonderful organization doing great work in this area, plus going to support five local agencies that are attacking this problem right here in our city. So I encourage you to check that out and to go. That's kind of all on the prevention side. In the future, we hope to get more involved on the back end in the rescue effort in helping young women who don't want to be in that situation get out of it. And we're seeking God for how that can happen. So some of you are uniquely gifted, uniquely qualified to offer yourself in that kind of a ministry. And for you, it would be an expression of love for Jesus Christ who rescued you, who rescued you. Well, those are some of the avenues we see God calling us as an entire church to. And um, there are going to be opportunities to pray, to serve, to give, to sacrifice time, effort, energy, to give yourself away for others because of Christ, because of Christ's love for you. And I pray that you will. But let me mention one last characteristic that uh, I'll talk about today of, of true love. And again, I'm probably going to be coining a new word, okay? Number eight, love gives covenantally. Is that a word? It is now. <laughs> love gives gospeliciously. Love gives covenantally. What do you mean? Well, look at Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, Paul wrote especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You know, when it comes to giving in the New Testament, there's a kind of priority given. The general axiom seems to be family first, others next. In other words, because Jesus Christ died on the cross to form a family for himself, and because that spiritual family is precious to him, close to his heart, let the leaders and the members of that family make every effort to ensure that the needs of the family are not neglected. Do good to all men, yes, but especially those who belong to the family of believers. You see that? See the priority given there? 
You see, we who know Jesus are in a unique relationship together. He's bound us together in a covenant community where our lives are intertwined, and they will be forever. Did you know that you're going to hang out with people like me forever? But in heaven, I'm not going to be preaching to you like this. We're just going to be brothers and sisters enjoying each other, enjoying our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ forever. It's a forever family that Christ has purchased for himself. And so a priority is placed on loving each other and seeing to it that needs are met. This is not to the exclusion of generosity to those outside the church, but there does seem to be a priority here. Now, this has its challenges, right? There are some churches who get so wrapped up in the care of their own members that they totally forget about people outside the walls. That's not good. On the other hand, I've known of churches who prided themselves in giving away 40, 50, 60, 70% of their income to foreign missions but underpay their own staff, have a building that looks like it got stuck in the 1950s, and have no vision for the neighbors right around them who live right across the street. That's not good either. We ought to avoid both of those extremes. My understanding, the gospel pattern in Scripture for financial support, it's not either or, it's both and. The family and the community with priority given to the family, especially those belong to the family of believers. And so towards that end every year here at New Life, we take a few weeks this time of year and we remind each other of our covenant together as a spiritual family and we renew our commitment to take care of the family's needs. That means each of us who calls New Life our church home commits ourselves to doing our share to underwrite the ministry of the gospel in and through New Life Church. We do that first by praying. Say, God, lead us, lead our family. What is our part in supporting the work of this church? And then we make a pledge or a commitment for the year. And this year, our leadership decided that this emphasis of stewardship lines up with our Love Works adventure because of the very thing I've been saying today. Love gives. Love gives. And so do this for me. In your folder, in your worship folder, is a little pledge card. It looks like this. Would you take this out for a moment, please? I won't take a long time on this, but take a few minutes and explain it. Some of you have already made a pledge online already, and that's great. That's where things are going. In a few years, it'll probably all just be online. But for we who call New Life home, this is your church family. Our leadership is requesting that all of us communicate our giving plans for the year by completing this card and dropping it in the offering bag in a few moments when we receive the offering. Then when that's done, I'll go back, reach into those bags, grab out a handful of them, bring them up here, and just read some of them to the rest of you guys. You know know me better than that. I'm not going to do that. Come on. I just want to see if you guys were awake. It is a confidential thing. I think there's two people in our stewardship office who see our pledges. This This is between you and the Lord. You know, budget planning for the upcoming fiscal year starts in a couple of months, so having a feel for what can be expected to come in helps our team planning. Really, our offerings are just another way of expressing our gratefulness to the Lord Jesus Christ in a very concrete way for all that he has done for us. So let's, all of us, listen to the Spirit as he speaks to us. Let's plan to give generously so the work can thrive, so needs can be met, so the gospel work continues to advance and lives continue to be changed through the gospel.
So take a look at the card for a moment. There's three parts to it. The first is, says, my regular grace giving. That's our term for your regular week in, week out, month in, month out, giving financial support of this church. This is critical. We should not look past this. Our staff, our facilities, all of our ministries, both locally and to the world through our missionaries, are funded through my grace giving and your grace giving to this church. Beyond that, there's a place for what we call an offering. And this is an amount that God prompts you to give over and above your grace giving. And this year, as in many years, our offerings are going to go towards needed capital improvements around here. And there's always a list of projects in the queue for our facilities and for our parking lot. And that's what those will go toward. And then third is what I mentioned earlier, that special one-time Love Works offering for Easter Sunday, Easter weekend. We haven't done this before, but that shouldn't dictate what we do in the future, right? And so we're praying that all of us will set aside a special amount because of Christ to give, bring on Easter. And that's going to help support that Gehanna Ministry Center that I talked about, our share, New Life share for the first year. Half of it towards that and half of it towards the next church planting effort. You know, many of you know that New Life has had a part in starting eight churches uh, throughout our lifetime. And we're grateful to God for that privilege. And uh, our elders are praying about what the next step is in gospel-centered church planting. So take a moment, if you haven't already, or if you haven't done it online, take a moment and fill that out. If you consider New Life your church home, as I said, you can place it in the offering bag when it comes around in a few moments. Or if you miss that, the collection box is in the lobby. So love works. Love gives. God so loved the world that he gave. And like father, like family, right? So let me pray for us. Let's ask God for the grace to bear the family image well reflect the family resemblance to others through our loving generosity. And Lord Jesus, we do this because you first loved us. Lord, left to ourselves, we would have never come to God. Left to ourselves, we would never have a relationship with the Father. But though you were rich, Yet for our sakes, you became poor so that we, through your poverty, might become rich. And we are rich. Lord, we're rich spiritually. Thank you. And the truth is, in comparison with the rest of the world, we are rich materially as well. We pray that your generous heart would flood our hearts. May we worship you now in spirit and in truth for your great namesake in Christ's name.